0: Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this uh, service today on Thanksgiving weekend. Now, it is Thanksgiving weekend, and so I'm going to continue with this theme of gratitude today, but just be aware, while this is the start officially of Advent today, we're going to kick off a new Christmas series starting next Sunday, so I don't want you to miss that. We're gonna look into all kinds of wonderful, exciting things together as we prepare for our Christmas celebration. And I don't know about you, but on this weekend of Thanksgiving, I have so many things to be grateful for. I have a loving wife and family that I get to kind of do life with. I have a meaningful job to go to every day to get up and and have some practical way to spend time and make a difference with my life and so on. I have so many things to be grateful for, good health, uh, meaningful relationships. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So I just want to give a testimony today. My cup is not only full, it is overflowing. But if you If you pressed me on this and said, but of all those blessings, what is the most amazing blessing in your life? Without hesitation, I would tell you it's that I have a authentic, living, vibrant, growing, ongoing relationship with the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have confidence in In that relationship, Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. A little girl was working very hard with her crayons on a picture that she was drawing. And her mother said, what are you doing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, they will now. (laughs) And Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, of all the things I'm thankful for, and there are so many on this weekend of Thanksgiving, I am most grateful that God can be known. Jesus said, this is what eternal life is all about. It's about knowing God. And so, that's what I want to explore with you for these minutes we have together today. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things I've really enjoyed in my life is a good deal of travel. For a number of years, I, I just pretty much lived on airplanes. Honestly, it was a part of my job, going here and there and speaking, traveling to new cities, getting to know whole new groups of people, and leaders in those cities and all that. I've, I've done a lot of travel, and I generally enjoy traveling. But here's the thing. When you travel, you meet lots of different people. And I've noticed one thing about so many of the people that I've met through the years in different cultures, in different countries, literally all around the world. All of them have some at least curiosity about God. Now, I hesitate to call them seekers because, you know, not everybody is really seeking God with their whole heart. But they're at least a bit curious about God. And here's the question on their mind. Does God exist? And further, can God be known? Well, there's a psalm in our Bibles. It's Psalm 19, one of my favorites, that declares a resounding yes to those questions. Yes, God exists. And guess what? God can be known. And so for these minutes, I want to unpack this psalm with you because I think it's a powerful one. It's one I reflect on literally every week. It's a part of the scriptures that I go through, and I just pause and reflect. I think it has some powerful things to say about how God can be known, and that is a big reason for thanksgiving. The psalm starts off by talking about creation, creation. And it says that there's evidence for God in creation. Let's look at the text together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice, meaning the evidence from creation. Both day and night, there's evidence in creation. Their voice goes out in all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. This psalm starts off by declaring, look, you can know something about God and you can know it through his creation, the marvels of his creation. Debbie and I live in a house in Troy, and our house was built in 1941. And let's suppose I said to you, hey, do you know how our house came about? You say, no, I don't have a clue. Well, let me tell you. In 1941, something unusual happened. It never happened before or since, but an incredible swirling wind, like no one had ever seen, swept across the Hudson River, going in a northeasterly direction, mind you, and it went right up the hill, right up Hoosick Street. It was kind of a cross between a hurricane and a tornado. So unusual, it only lasted a few minutes. And in 1941, the residents of Troy were just amazed at this. And it swirled around, and after this ferocious storm was over, it left behind our house on Centerview Drive, where previously there'd been only a vacant lot. That's that's it. That's how it. That's how our house came to be. Would you believe my story? You go, dude. You're you're either joking or it's time for you to retire, (laughs) all right? Because your house shows evidence of design. And if there's evidence of design, it suggests an intelligent designer. There's nothing random about it. Well, guess what? Psalm 19 says the world is that way. The universe is that way. There's this delicate balance in the universe. And Scientists, both believing and non-believing scientists, have written extensively about this. Some have called this the Goldilocks effects effect." And they'll point out things like this: there needs to be just the right distance from the sun for life to exist. Biologically, we're very delicate. If it's too hot, we burn up. If it's too cold, we freeze. We need light, but not too much ultraviolet light. We need heat, but not too much infrared heat, or it will harm us. And all of these ratios have to be amazingly balanced. We have an atmospheric shield above us, I have read, that keeps us from being sprayed with an almost constant barrage of meteorites. And then beneath us, about 10 miles beneath our feet, is such intense heat that were it not for this thick layer of rock, we would all burn up. And again, I'm no scientist, but I've read from erudite scientists who've spent their whole lives studying these things, and they say that the possibility of these factors all falling into place by chance is infinitesimally small. So what am I saying to you on this Thanksgiving weekend? I'm saying that either the universe is a colossal cosmic accident or it is a purposeful design. You say, oh, it's just an accident. Okay, I gotta tell you, I just don't, I'm a man of faith, I am, but I don't have enough faith to believe that. The evidence overwhelmingly points to an intelligent designer. And I think this in part explains why, again, like I said, I've done a lot of travel. I've been in the deep jungles of the Philippines and little barrios where people are literally living in the dirt with some sticks just leaned up against a tree and that is their house. And I've been to some of the largest cities in the world. I've seen up and outers and down and outers. And I can tell you, not every culture has great education. Not every culture has great industry or technological breakthroughs. But one thing every culture has is a desire for worship. It may be a church. It may be a mosque. It may be a shrine on the side of the road. It may be, like I saw in the Philippines, a totem pole out in the middle of the woods where people are trying to worship some higher power through that. But it all springs from this revelation of God in creation. Now, Please listen carefully. Don't jump to a wrong conclusion here. Just because God has revealed something of his attributes in nature does not mean that all people accept and acknowledge that revelation. Watch this Watch this scripture from Romans. Look at this from the book of Romans chapter one. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men, here this next phrase is important, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. How has he made it plain? He goes on to describe it. For since the creation of the world, oh, He's made some things plain through creation. That's what the apostle says. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. Now, verse 18 there that we just read said people can suppress the truth. We can ignore the truth about God through creation. We can try to explain it away. We can say it's naive or simplistic, but make no mistake, the fact remains that creation reveals a creator. And the knowledge of God from creation is so strong, according to the Bible, that it says that people are without excuse if they ignore that or suppress that. But with all that said, can we just acknowledge a reality here? Because I don't want to overstate the case for creation. If creation is all we had to go on to try to know God, it wouldn't be enough. Here's what I mean. We might conclude that God is rather cold and cruel because Nature is rather cold and cruel. Two or three months ago, my family and I were at a pumpkin patch. Those are fun to go to, aren't they? I mean, they're great for the kids. So we had the grandchildren there, and we were just having a great... The weather was beautiful. It was a perfect day. And we're at this pumpkin patch, and one of the facets of the pumpkin patch... It's not just pumpkins, it's all kinds of other things. And they had this sunflower field with gorgeous, huge sunflowers. And so we're out there in the sunflower field we're, gonna field. we're gonna get a sunflower or two. And the grandchildren are running around and we're just having a good time as a family. And we all come upon this scene that looks kind of grisly. There's a pile of kind of feathers there with some remnants of a bird, and some blood there on the ground. We all just kind of stared at it. It kind of broke the reverie of our day. And I finally blurted out, well, it looks like a fox or a cat caught a bird and had a good meal. I'll admit it wasn't my most brilliant pastoral moment. (laughs) I'll admit it probably wasn't the most sensitive thing to say, but it was truthful. Some varmint had just had a meal right there, and there's evidence of it. Nature is like that, species survive by eating other species. It's not all merciful and compassionate. And if all we had was creation to go on, we might conclude that God may be powerful, but is he kind? Does he have emotions? How does he feel about me? Would I really want to get to know him? Is it really the God the Christians talk about or is it some other kind of God? And hear me, while the evidence of God in creation is wonderful, it cannot definitively answer any of those questions by creation alone. So while God, we can know something of God through creation, that knowledge is limited. So we need more than that. Let's talk for a while about commands. Now, I'm really just kinda using commands here Uh, because I'm a preacher and we love to use alliteration, all right? So that's just a confession. I'm really talking about Scripture. I'm talking about what the Bible, and it uses all these different words. It uses words like precepts, commands, laws, decrees, statutes, meditations, but it's all talking about the truth that is revealed through the written word of God. Now, here's one of the things about Psalm 19 that just keeps me coming back to it over and over again. What I see there is a progression of God's revelation. It goes from creation to the written word. Let's look at it together, starting here in verse 7. And again, the Bible uses words like law, precepts, meditation, statutes, you know, all interchangeably at times. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts, again, it's just, these are interchangeable words. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances, there's another, again, just using different words to describe the revealed, written revelation of God, are sure and altogether right. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Now, like I said, it's one of my favorite Psalms because it's so rich with insight. And I I wanna unpack that together with you because it describes there a number of ways, and we're gonna break it down, that God adds value and insight to us so that we can know him better. The first one here, It says the word of God revives our soul. It revives our soul. Now, why do we need a revived soul? Because there's almost this law of entropy with our souls where we, left to ourselves, become naturally more despondent and depressed. Why? Because life is beyond us. The challenges are... Come on, they're just too great. And so left to ourselves, we can get in a deep, dark rabbit hole pretty fast. So we need the word of God to revive our languishing soul. But next it says that it enlightens our minds. The word of God enlightens our minds. Verse seven, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Do you need wisdom? Oh my goodness. You need it to navigate those tough relationships, those gnarly questions, those troubling issues that come your way. And this says, guess what? God's not just left you creation as a way to know him. He's given a written word that gives you wisdom in your daily life. But there's a third way. The word of God infuses joy into daily living. It says in verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Boy, we could use some joy these days, couldn't we? Whew. You just read your newsfeed. You just open up your newspaper. You just listen to your neighbor talk. And usually it's pretty gloomy, isn't it? Usually it kind of feels ominous. I mean, I just read some headlines this week and I just just had to say, whoa, why am I reading this? I mean, just every headline I read had gloom and doom attached to it. So we need the word to bring some joy and positive emotions. Fourth, the word of God provides insightful direction for living. Verse eight goes on to say, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I need guidance for living, folks. I mean, can I tell you something? And I think this is probably especially true for those of you who are leaders. We need this insightful instruction every single day because we face decisions often multiple times away where we just don't have the answers. Where are you gonna get the answers? You gonna look to the talk show to get them? Good luck with that. Social media gonna be your fount of insight? Oh boy, not a chance. The word of God gives direction for living. But there's a fifth way. The word of God gives clear moral boundaries. It goes on to say here, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. We've talked about that word just recently. It means that God is going to guide you in the right moral way to go because we need to know right from wrong. God's word gives us that, and it's all rooted in his very character. So, in summary, God's amazing word revealed in the Bible provides health and value and wholeness to our spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, and relational well being. <laughs> Can you tell why I love this psalm? I mean, I just go back to it and back to it, and my heart explodes with spontaneous praise and thanksgiving to God. And I just felt on this Thanksgiving weekend, before we get completely into the Christmas spirit here, I just had to share this with you. This is one of those little verses, Psalm 119, verse 24, that I absolutely adore. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Oh, I hope you have some good counselors in your life. Uh, men and women who are hopefully wiser than you, people who've maybe been down the road a little further, people who can be mentors to you. We all need that. But there's no better counselor than the word of God. The statutes, they're my delight. I hope you can say that. I hope you crack your Bible open every single day, literally every day and drink from that fountain of wisdom and knowledge. And here's the deal. If I'm thanking God this weekend because he can be known, a big part of how I know him is through his word. It tells me so much more about God's personality and his character. But let's keep going. There's a a third way that we can know God, and that is through our conscience, our conscience, The psalm goes on, verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Don't let me get caught up in a web of wrongdoing here, Lord. Knowingly or unwittingly, whatever. Don't let me get caught up in that. May they not rule over me then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that has been considered one of the greatest Christian books ever written. In fact, it was voted by certain writers, certain organizations like Christianity Today and others as the number one Christian book of the 20th century. Number one Christian book of the 20th century. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. You say, well, what is it based on? Can it's based on the moral argument for God's existence. You say, well, what does that mean? Oh, here we go. Lewis contends that in every person that it, there is a moral capacity we call the conscience. There is this inherent sense of right and wrong, a sense that was put there by God. And it's one of the ways that God has made himself known to humanity. Even little children have this sense of right and wrong, and they know when something is just or unjust. Debbie and I were recently uh, in an airport, we were in the Charlotte airport, and we saw a scene unfold. You see so many parenting scenes, don't you? When you're out in public, I mean, out in a restaurant, it's just so instructive, out in the mall, here we are in an airport, and we're watching here at this this Starbucks coffee place, we're watching as this mom who has two small children, and one is just slightly bigger than the other. For some inexplicable reason, the mom buys One of these little, it's like a little cake on a stick, I think. I've never had one, but it looks really tasty and scrumptious. It's like a little cake on a stick. And she buys one for the slightly taller, slightly older child and presents him with his cake on a stick. And suddenly, in the Charlotte airport, was heard a shriek of injustice that came as a guttural, primal cry (laughs) from the heart of the other child. I mean, that child shrieked and began to cry. Tears flowed down his face. It proves C.S. Lewis's point. There is an encoded sense Of injustice in every human being that was put there by God. That child probably didn't know the Bible. I doubt if it ever pondered the stars very much at night and God's wonders in creation. But boy, he had a sense of right and wrong, and he knew this is unjust. My brother got this, and I didn't. And the mom quickly rectified the situation because the whole airport, (laughs) the whole airport was wondering, what's happening to this child that's shrieking and freaking out? Injustice. That's what he was saying. Now, look at what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 2. Indeed, when Gentiles This child is like a Gentile, okay, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, that child just proved it. A sense of right and wrong, a sense of just and unjust was written on that child's heart. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, even defending them. Paul there is saying, look, people who don't have the special written commands of God in revelation, like we just talked about, they don't have those at all, Gentiles. They don't have that special revelation, but they have this innate sense of good and bad, right and wrong. Oh, yes, we may be spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. That is true. But people still have an innate sense of good and evil, right and wrong. And it's put there by God in the conscience of every person. You say, Pastor, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. Next time you watch a movie, and good doesn't win or prevail in the end, if there's not some redemptive twist at the end, and you feel totally fine with that, then maybe you don't have a moral conscience. But writers and filmmakers know that this is true. And that's why almost always the movie is gonna end with the good prevailing and justice being done, or at least some hopeful redemptive twist at the end, because if it doesn't happen, guess what? We are deeply, deeply offended by that. You've got that inside of you. Guess what? It was put there by God. It's not a fluke. It's not an accident. It's not a, it's a moral dimension and he put that in your heart. It's just one of the further ways that God has made himself known and I'm so grateful for that. But as I wrap up today, I wanna bring all of this full circle. I hope you can sense, I'm so glad for the revelation of God in creation. It's awesome. I'm so glad for his written word, which tells us so much more about what God is like And I'm certainly glad that God has written something of his character on our consciences. But as I close, this is the part I don't want you to miss. This is crucial to understand. Just knowing God as creator cannot save your soul. I hear people all the time go, oh, Pastor, I just love to hike in the woods, man, and I just feel so close to God out there, and I just bask in the wonders of that. Wonderful. I just love to go out at night and marvel at the stars. Pastor, I just love to get out on the golf course, and I just enjoy God's creation out on the golf course. Awesome. But that can't deal with your sin problem." Because our sins have separated us from our creator and caused us to be enemies with God in our minds. So let me hasten to say that knowing God as the one who speaks through his commands, even that will not save. You can memorize the Bible from front to back and it won't save your soul. In fact, The Bible will remain largely a dead book to you until the author of that book comes to live inside of you. The way to really know God intimately and dynamically is through an encounter with his son, Jesus Christ. 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 That's the way we know God, personally, intimately. You say, well, okay, what do I need to know about Jesus? Well, Christmas that we're going to start talking about next week is God's rescue mission where Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came on a rescue mission into this world. Let me tell you what he did for you. He died on the cross Amen. for our sins. He rose again from the dead vindicating everything that Jesus had ever said or done and now he reigns victorious over sin and death and hell and the grave. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's who he is. That, that's what he's done and when we... When we, by God's enablement, come to him in repentance and faith, here's what happens. He deals with our sin and our guilt, and we're forgiven, and we're set free. And if God is drawing you into that kind of relationship, see, you can literally come to know him today I hope you can see why this is one of my favorite Psalms, because it shows all these different ways that God has made himself known, but he can be known personally and dynamically only when we come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So here's the bottom line. Here's the question that I guess remains to be asked. Do you, do you know him in that kind of way? Have you ever come humbly and broken with godly sorrow over sin and asked Jesus to forgive you? You see, this is not a spectator sport. You say, well, that happened to my mom. Wonderful. Has it happened to you? You say, well, I, I, listen, I've got a coworker who talks about that stuff. Awesome. But what about you? See, the scripture says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an experiential thing about this. God will make himself real to you when you accept his invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want to invite you to do that right now. Here's how we're going to do it. We're not going to take long, but we're just going to bow our heads And I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer along with me. We've seen literally hundreds, no kidding, hundreds of people begin a relationship with Christ through the years just with a prayer like this. Would you bow your heads, please? If God is drawing you today, if he's brought you to the place of wanting, desiring, hungering for that kind of relationship with God through Christ I invite you to pray this prayer as a sincere prayer from your heart. Oh God, thank you for making yourself known. I confess to you my sins. I repent of them. And I I turn to you Please forgive me. Come into my life and begin to change me from the inside out. Father, I pray for all of those that you have drawn, that you have drawn to this moment whose hearts you are opening and changing and regenerating. Thank you for the forgiveness and the freedom that comes when we know Christ personally. We celebrate that with hearts of thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.